0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 7, 11 through 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word.
1: Thank you, Sarah. One day, the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, will happen. One day, what no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceived will be present before us. One day, we will no longer see dimly or darkly or know in part, but we will be fully known. We will know fully as we have been fully known. And one day, a reunion is coming so great and so vast and so permanent that every other reunion, no matter how wonderful they are, will pale in comparison. One day. And every day, all of us and everyone we know are getting closer to that day. The day when we will either gain or lose everything. This is why we do evangelism. This is why we want to share about Jesus. Because what he has started in reconciling this world and his people of restoring us, what he started, he will one day finish. That's why we want to do it. We want to be ready, and we want people to be ready for that day when the king returns. That's why we do it. But a question I could ask you would be, when are we doing evangelism? When are we sharing in word and deed and presence or lack thereof? When are we doing evangelism? When are we sharing Christ? When are we reflecting him to other people? And one, one answer to that question is always, right? We're always representing what we believe. We're always representing God. Whether we think we're choosing to or not, whether we want to or not on that day, we are always doing evangelism. But for me, maybe for you, for me, it's helpful to have categories. It's helpful to have buckets. Or it's helpful to have, what I'll use this word for today, uh, realms of evangelism. For me to help better understand when when I'm sharing my faith, when I'm reflecting God to those around me. And here, I think there's at least five... Realms. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail with this. It's just one of those notes I've been thinking about this series and wanting to talk about evangelism for a while. So I'm just going to sneak different things uh, in this series as we go along. But I think there's at least five categories of when we're doing evangelism. First one, location: where you live, the people that you that you live next to, or in your apartment complex, or in your dorm, where you live, your location. Next, vocation. That's the, the work that you do, the job that you have, after that recreation, the places you go to do to do the hobbies that you enjoy or just your everyday uh, life, recreation, then you have restoration this is, This is when it comes to helping those in need, helping those who are hurting, whether they 're great needs and greatly hurting or, or, or minor, and I think that 's where this this example, this true story, would fall into the category of restoration. This woman was in desperate need that Jesus met on this particular day. And then family. When I heard, I've heard these categories before when someone was talking to me about the realms of evangelism. Uh, they didn't mention family, but I think it deserves a category of its own, personally. <laughs> and so we're not going to go into great detail with, with these, but I think today's example falls in restoration. The people that we are around that are hurting, that are in need Uh, that we can represent Christ to. So who are the people that we're impacting in these different realms of our lives? I think it's helpful to think about. Who are the people in these different realms that what you say impacts them, what you do impacts them? Your presence or lack thereof is going to impact the people in these categories of your life. So why we do evangelism, when we do evangelism, and we see in this specific story uh, the restoration that happens and I'll talk more about about that. But a little bit of background. If you were able to join us two weeks ago, we started this series called Evangelism Like Jesus. Since Christ said we have been sent into the world as the Father sent him, and since he's called us to make disciples of all nations, who better to learn from than the master himself, than the best, the greatest evangelist who has ever lived? So we want to look at the life of Jesus. And what he did is he encountered those who didn't yet know God and learn from him. We see both the beauty of Jesus as he goes about his life and interacting with those who don't know God, who are lost, who don't know the, uh, where, where their family and where their hope and where their meaning and all of that truly is found. And we also learn from, from the principles and patterns of his life, of how he went about doing that. And as I talked about two weeks ago, the lens through which we're looking at all of these encounters comes from John chapter 1, verse 14, because it tells us how Jesus came into the world and some of the patterns that 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 define his life and how he interacted with others. John 1.14. I encouraged you, challenged you to memorize that verse. Maybe you already have. You have, you have a five or five or six more weeks to do that if you haven't. John one fourteen says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in this verse, we see these three words of presence, of grace, truth. Presence, grace, truth. This is how Jesus... This is how Jesus models for us what it means to be evangelists, to represent God well. And Pastor Dennis showed us a uh, a visual last week to help help talk about how in the very center of presence, truth and grace is where the gospel is found. And he walked through, and I thought it was so helpful and, and good for us to just look at it again and think about it a little bit more. This week as well. The gospel's found in the, in, the, in the center of truth, presence, and grace. And us as individuals, we want to be people that represent God by being people of presence, truth, and grace. And that's also true with the fact that we want to be a church that's full of presence, grace, and, and truth. And, and when we lack one of those, it shows itself in a number of different ways. So just really briefly... I don't want us to be a church that is only present with those who don't know the Lord and have a, have a presence and continue to show up and are truthful. So, presence and truthful. What does that kind of church look like? Present and truthful, but without grace. What that looks like is the Bible-thumping kind of church. Here's the truth. Know it. You know, cram it down your throat legalistic, rule-following, condemning you if you don't know the truth and practice the truth the way that we do. Truth bomb kind of church. So I'd rather us not be that kind of church. But I'd also rather not be the church that's, that's full of grace and presence but are lacking truth. Because if we're the church that's full of presence and truth without grace, we're disconnected from God's heart, but when we're the church that's full of presence and grace without truth, we're disconnected from God's will. Why? Because, sure, we get together and we care about each other well, and we care about other people, and what we end up looking like is a bit like a social club, who are not anchored really in anything, who have no real hope for the future or or firm foundation to stand on of knowing who we are, where we've come from, where we're going, the difference between good and evil. We miss God's will. We miss the truth. So we don't want to be that either. But we also don't want to be the church that's full of truth and grace without presence. This is the one that took me the longest to kind of understand what this means. But if we're a church that's full of truth and grace without presence, that's the kind of church where you might call it something like a like a bunker church, where we we get together, us, and we talk. we're good at talking about the truth and getting in the word, and we care about each other, and we do the one another commands well, but we're also have no presence, no care for reaching out to others, like the world, uh, people that don't know God. No presence, no care for that. And we say, let's just hold on until the end. And we don't, we don't, We're not really getting the next generation ready for, uh, to be the church. We're disconnected from the world. So we want to be a church that's present, cares about those who don't know God, has time, wants to reach them, and is full of truth and grace. Is that easy to do? No, not without God, it's not. We, we, we desperately need him to be a church that's, that's doing all three of these, presence, truth, and grace, as Jesus did. And just a, re, just a reminder as well, even when we don't do, even when you don't do all of these really well together, God can still work through your life, he can still work through our lives, to reach others for the gospel, to know the Lord, he, he, we don't have to be paralyzed thinking. If I'm not, if I don't really know all of what God's words say and exactly how to apply it to someone's life, then maybe. Or maybe if I'm not, if I'm not quite patient enough or kind enough, then maybe God won't use me. Or if I don't show up this many times to church or to life group or whatever, then maybe I shouldn't, you know, be involved or, or try to. Speak. No, 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 God can work through us, uh, our imperfect selves. Um, for his glory and to reach others for Jesus, he can. So um, we also know that it's not that we have 33.3% repeating of truth, presence, grace uh, in every encounter with every person who doesn't know the Lord. We even see in this example today the message is called love in action because what we see, Jesus only says a few words in this interaction. It's, it's he, he embodies the truth. So, for our roadmap, and as we're doing in each of these messages, we're going to look at the presence of Jesus in this story, the grace of Jesus, and the truth of Jesus. So, first, the presence of Jesus. I see in this, in this story, in Luke 7, 11 through 17, a persistent presence of Christ, a personal presence of Christ, and an unplanned presence. So, first, the persistent presence. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look at verse 11 as it starts out, it says, Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. Soon after what? He was just in Capernaum. If you're reading through Luke leading up to this, just a little bit of context, he's been preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the kingdom of God, revealing the kingdom of God through, through miracles pointing to his power um, and divinity. And, and he's constantly putting himself in situations where he's around people and able to care for people and, and calling the disciple. He just called the disciples to follow him after praying all night. And so when it says soon after this, it's saying soon after he's already been preaching, teaching the kingdom, loving people, uh, being around groups of people and individuals. He's doing ministry. He's, he's bringing the kingdom And soon after that, what does he do? He keeps doing it. He keeps doing it. He keeps showing up. He's persistent. He keeps engaging with individuals and crowds. And so he goes to go continue to do the same thing. It says he went to the town called Nain. Fun fact for the five of you that care, Nain is 25 miles away from Capernaum. uh, And they likely walked that in one day. And I don't know what everyone thinks about this personally, I'm a bit jealous. Well, first of all, walking with Jesus all day, can you think of something better to do than that? But 25 miles one day, that's their day. They're walking to Nain. And yeah, I love walking, just by the way. I would love more people, like activity. What are you doing today? I'm walking. You want to come? We're just going to walk. Walk and talk. So they walk to Nain. Verse 12, it says, he goes to the gate of the town. Here's the persistence of Jesus being around people. The gate of the town was the social hub. This is where people gathered for a bunch of reasons. And so there he is. Crowd with him and he encounters another crowd with this woman who just lost her son. And he takes his crowd and joins that crowd and now you have one big crowd. (laughs) And something's about to happen. We're calling this series Evangelism Like Jesus. We want to learn from him, do some of his practices, and reaching people with the gospel. So maybe some of you are thinking, all right, are you telling me that I need to be around large crowds of people all the time and be ready to go and like go into a large crowd and and fix everyone's problems and know everything that's happening and their situation in life? Like, Is that what I'm supposed to do? I can barely fix my own problems and crowds make me a bit anxious, maybe that's what you're, what you're thinking, and what I will say to you is hold on a second and notice what happens in this true story. What you see is the personal presence of Jesus even in the midst of the crowd. Look at verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, and when the Lord saw her, Jesus saw the one person in the crowd. He sees the mother, the widow, that just lost her son. Now, the Jewish people would bury their dead on the day of. There's at least two examples of that in scripture. And so there's a good chance she lost her son that very day. And in her situation, without being a a widow, and she just lost her only son, we don't know exactly what was going to happen to her life. The next day, the next week, she may have been out Begging because of their loss. But I doubt she was thinking about that in that moment. She's caring for the fact that she lost her son, and Jesus sees her. He notices her. One person in the crowd. We don't need to be overwhelmed by seas of people. We're not made for that. We can't. You can't help multitudes of people. You certainly can't do it in one day. But can you care for one person today? Can you notice one person today that God has put in your life or in your path? I love how uh, Terra Nova North Adams has this saying when it comes to evangelism. Their saying is, who's your one? Who's your one? And they say that because they, they encourage, Pastor Paul encourages people in their church, this year... Can you have one person, at least one person, that you are fixed on loving into the kingdom of God? Whatever that looks like. Can there be one person that you, that you bring before God in your prayer, that you stand before God and that person and you intercede for it? You say, God, mercy on this person. God, help me reach this person. Give me the words to say to this person. Help me know how to love this person well. This year, can you have one person What if we all really had one person that we were fixed on loving into the kingdom of God? I believe that's how multiplication happens. One person. And maybe if you're like me, I say that, you know, humbly say this with a little bit of, one's not enough. (laughs) One's not enough. And if if that's what you're thinking, that's okay too. Maybe there's one person, two people, three people in each of those categories, where you live, where you work, where you go, recreation, location, vocation, recreation, restoration, some ministries that you participate in, where you're around people that are hurting and that are in need, your family, that's okay if there's more than one person in your life that you are fixed on loving into the kingdom of God. I would, lo- I would love <laughs> what I'd like to do is stop and just share multiple stories in each of those realms, and I'm going to find places and upcoming messages to do some of that. But I'm going to move on. The personal presence of Jesus to see this one person in the crowd. The Personal presence. The persistent presence of Jesus to be around, to be around people. And then you have the unplanned presence. It doesn't tell us here. It's not a clear example. If Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Did he know, walking to Nain, that this crowd was going to be walking out and this woman's going to be there who he's going to minister to? It doesn't tell us. He may have, he may not have. Fully human, fully God. Just try to work that out. (laughs) Sometimes it tells us. We don't know. But the mother did not know that she was going to be interacting with the only son from the Father, full of glory, full of grace and truth on that day. She didn't know. So, was this an unplanned encounter? Good chance. Could have been. So, what I'd like to ask you, I'd like to ask you two questions and focus on the second one. First one is Do you have time for unplanned encounters? Unplanned opportunities, evangelistic opportunities with people? Do you have time for that? Or do you have a schedule or calendar so, so full, so packed? that when someone approaches you with something that you didn't expect that day, a question, a request, a fill in the blank, your mind's like, nope, I got this thing. I got, I got this and then this and then this and then this. Is it so packed that you don't have time for that? If so, I would encourage you to think about that and change that. But my, I have another question related to this that I'd like to focus on for a minute, and that is, when opportunities like this happen, when there's an unplanned missional opportunity, an unplanned divine appointment with somebody, what prevents you from being present with that person or with those people when it happens? What prevents you from really being there, engaged in that moment, in that time? I have a couple that I thought of, a couple reasons. Maybe it applies to you. The first one is work. Maybe it's at your work, or maybe it's when you leave your work, something happens, someone approaches, whatever, and your mind, you're there, but your mind is somewhere else. I gotta, let me just, let me just get that one more email. <laughs> let me just check off this one last thing. Or you're just, you're, you're thinking about your job and you're not really present with the people around you. So that happens to me quite a bit. I don't know, you guys too. There's one. Here's another one. Uh, children. Okay, first thing I'd like to do Uh, If you have children and you're thinking to yourself, I can't really be present, I can't really do evangelism because I have children, first thing I would encourage you to do is talk to someone that you know, that you trust, that you respect, that you think is doing well with having kids and still having an evangelistic um, kind of life, and ask them about it. But I'd also like to share with you a couple uh, points about this. So, first of all, maybe you need to hear it. Maybe you need the reminder or encouragement to remember that your children are your primary ministry, and that's, that's okay, and that's good, and that's right. Secondly, I mentioned how prayer is one of the most important parts of evangelism, and I, I believe that. And so no matter how many people you are responsible to keep alive, you can pray. You can pray. Next, having children prevent uh, allows Opportunities to engage with people that you wouldn't have if you didn't have children. So, maybe people in their school, people in your neighborhood when you go for a walk, relationships that you could not, would not have had if you didn't have your kids. And that, that, can, that can give opportunities uh, to share. Next, often children are better evangelists than we are. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. The, the filter's not always there. They're learning about God. They want to talk about him. They want to talk about this or that. And uh, they'll they just talk. They'll just share. And then there you are to you know to engage with the people that they just said X with. Do you know what I learned about you know, Jesus today and, and terror kids or whatever? And so they can be a better evangelist than we are and present opportunities to share. And when they're not great evangelists and when they're preventing you from getting through Hannaford without a... A, a tantrum or something, there's an opportunity for you to show Jesus to your kids and to the people that we're not planning on but are now watching and involved of what's happening. But there's an opportunity for you to be Jesus in those situations. So those are some, those are some examples, if you have those thoughts of, well, I can't do evangelism because I have, because I have children. Now, I'm not sure this is the best spot for this, but I wanted to mention it. Some people call their pets fur babies, and that's not, they're not your baby. So, um, I know I probably lacked a little grace right there saying that. If, um, it, is the tr- it is the truth. And um, if a lot of you know, I, I <laughs> yeah, I love my dog. I love my dog. Uh, her name's Trousers, and... Two and a half years ago, we got her, and you might think this is silly, but Anna and I prayed before we got our dog. We prayed, Lord, we would like a ministry mutt. And we meant it, because some pets scare people away, and other pets make them feel more welcomed and and like, okay. And so we prayed for that, and I believe we got that. And if you have a pet, and you at times think it's preventing you from... Pets can be used greatly for evangelism. Our dog has created more opportunities for the people to talk to people in our neighborhood easily than we could have on our own, even with brownies, which is shocking. Okay. And on top of that, there's, there's in Troy, there's someone that, that uh, works nearby that would just want to come and talk about the dog, and that's great. That's, what, that's where the connection came, and now we get to have uh, a meal with them next month. It's like, that, that's, that's a ministry mutt. so just opportunities uh, come our way. So. Again, so what prevents you from being really present with with the opportunity, with a gospel opportunity, evangelistic opportunity, your work, children, maybe you think it's a pet. Uh, I have two more for you. Next one is state of mind. This one, I think, this one hit me pretty hard. So before you go into that store, before you go into your home, before you go for that walk, before you go fill in the blank, recreational activity, what are you... What are you valuing? What are you putting as most important with this trip, with this visit, with this thing? So I'll give you an example from my own own life. When we played volleyball last year during the summer, there would be times where after playing, I would kick myself and think, I just, I clearly cared more about winning this silly game than I did about the other team, my teammates, people around me. And I would stop after that. I, I, it, I took it more seriously and thought, before I even get out of the car, simple prayer, or before I leave, God, help me care more about people, more about human beings <laughs> that are made in your image than, than having more points in a volleyball game. Like, it sound, might sound silly to say out loud, but that's we wrestle with some of these things, don't we? You care more about winning the game than you do about the people around you. It's, State of mind, this, it affects our witness. One more, I wonder how many of you know what's coming. What else prevents you from really being present with those around you? I think our phones. I think our phones are a big one. Do you know how many times I got some of these stats from the Social Dilemma documentary about social media? Do you know how many times the average user, and by the way, why do they use the word user when they look at the stats? of? of social media, the average amount of looks, touches on your phone a day. Average person, okay, I need to look at it, 2,617 times. 2,617 times. That's two and a half hours daily for the average person. And if you're talking about, apparently, millennials and younger, Double that, that's five hours a day. <sighs> I don't think we realize just how lack of awareness, lack of presence we can have with people when we're checking our phones. We think maybe we, we just, it can be automatic, like a digital pacifier, you're uncomfortable for two seconds. It's like, Rather than being really present and engaging with the people around you. We can, we can stand out just in regular public life like head and shoulders above, above most people if we simply just notice and care and like honor the, the value of just human dignity by looking at people like you're going through the, the line at, your, at the supermarket and you just say hello to your cashier rather than just being in your own world every minute of every day just valuing people it can be a, it can be a big difference so these are some of the thoughts when it comes to what prevents us from being really present to the people around us jesus was in tune he had his priorities right he cared for people we see his his presence his persistent personal and unplanned presence that he had here and we see the beauty in jesus in this story next we see his grace his grace You see, the presence, his awareness, his engaging, led to grace. Because he saw her, because he noticed her, this mother who'd lost her son, it led to compassion. It led to sympathy. And that led to action. So seeing the person led to compassion for the person, led to acting. On their behalf. We see this pattern in Paul Miller's, some of Paul Miller's books, Christian author. He'll, he'll call this the path of love. See the person, care for the person, act for the person, and we see Jesus do that. What does the path of love look like here for Jesus? He sees her, and then in verse 13, after he has compassion on her, he says to her, do not weep. He didn't have to say that. He was just about to raise her son from the dead, But he prepares her mentally, even moments before it happens. He says, do not weep. And then verse 14, he touches the beer, the open coffin, and he raises the boy to life. He touched the coffin. He didn't have to do that either. And in fact, a lot of the commentators point out in touching it, it would have made him ceremonially unclean. He wouldn't have been able to go to the temple. They had, they had certain regulations and what you had to do to approach God. There was nothing in the commands that, that said what to do. There's no prescription of what happens when the corpse comes to life, but this is Jesus we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he touched the open coffin. He met this woman in her utter desperation. And then there's this beautiful note here. Jesus gave him to his mother. I think that this woman had no idea she could even ask for this. This was an unexpected gift that she didn't even know was possible or fathomable. She didn't ask for it. And yet Jesus is full of surprising, unexpected gifts gives it to her. I think for many of us, maybe we can't admit it at this point in our lives, but eventually, I think we will. If you haven't yet, we often don't know what's best. We often don't know what to ask for. And sometimes that includes the, the utter tragedies that happen in our lives. And we cannot see how this is actually God's will and for our good, and for his glory? We can't always see it. We often don't see it. And we often don't know what to ask for. But God is a God who will give to his children what they need, whether they ask for it or not. Maybe you're here today, and you weren't weren't really looking for God this morning. But he has come. He has come for you. And he's the greatest gift of all. Maybe the mother thought that receiving her only son back was the greatest gift she could possibly have that day. But an an even greater gift than her only son being given back to her is the only son from the father full of grace and truth was right there speaking to her. (laughs) And who will one day raise all who have faith in him. This series is called Evangelism Like Jesus, Pastor. And I just read this story, this true story, of how Jesus went up to this woman who is crying because her son is dead, and there's a funeral procession, and Jesus goes right up to her and says, hey, stop crying, and then raises her son from from the dead. So are you saying that I should go out and do likewise? Hold on a second. Please don't leave. That is not what I'm asking you or expecting you to do. So, how can we be like Jesus in this story? And then if you're wondering, but what about are you discounting are you discounting miracles? Just hold on a second before we get there. How do we be like Jesus in this story? Well, a bunch of ways. First of all, can we be people who put ourselves in circumstances where we can be around those who are hurting or in need, maybe in major ways or in minor ways. We have to be around people who are hurting to be able to see people who are hurting and in need. And yes, there are, anytime you're in a crowd, that can be the case, including at church. There can be people who are hurting, who are in need, and you can notice them, you can see them, and you can care and you can act But we can also choose to put ourselves in situations that are a restorative type of evangelism, of meeting people's needs. And we have opportunities to do that. Some of you are involved in restorative type ministries that are not officially talked about at Terra Nova Church and that we're actively involved in as a church. And that's wonderful. We don't all have to do the same thing. But we do have opportunities, if you'd like to hear more about, that I'm not going to go into great detail today at this moment, but we have opportunities to serve at his table down the road Wednesdays here in Troy. We have opportunities to serve to meet people's needs wherever you live if you're in the capital region and probably elsewhere too, through a ministry called Care Portal. We have opportunities to serve um, women who are new mothers looking looking for help someone to talk to, maybe help with practical needs through Compass Care. We have restorative, evangelistic-type opportunities if you want to get involved with that. And I would encourage you to if you're not. Or, and also to be ready for the unplanned ones. So can we be people like Jesus who are present, who see the hurting people, who are moved to compassion, who care, and then who act? How do we act well, if you told me a very specific example, I would try to give a specific answer, so I'm just gonna give some general ones. How do you act for people who are hurting or, or, or are in need? How do you act for them? Here's one way, which you might not expect me to say right away, listening. Listening. When you listen, it shows that you care about them. Listen to what they say, listen to their story. Don't assume how they got into that situation. Listen, listen, listen. At times, there'll be opportunities to help them in practical ways. At times, you can connect them with others or with organizations that are able to help in practical ways. At times, you'll be able to speak into their lives. Jesus chose his words very carefully here for a woman who is in utter, utter desperation, hurting beyond what we can fathom. And when people are really hurting, we need to really choose our words carefully as well. I want to share, share with you six words that I love to use, and this can apply not just when people are in utter desperation, but just generally. It's really simple, and I'm going to show you why I like it so much when it comes to just evangelistic tool and tool belt here. You ready? What can you say to someone? How can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Why do I love to ask that question? I love asking people, how can I pray for them? Because it shows them at the same time that I believe in God and I care for them. I believe in God, I care for them. How can I pray for you? It shows at the same time that I have limits and I can't just fix or help or do whatever you might be wondering, but I also know the guy who is limitless, who's all-powerful, who's all-loving, all-knowing, at the same time. And at the same time, it shows them, I have the desire to spend time, to give energy, to be there with them in that, during that time. <laughs> and at the same time, give them the opportunity, the, 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 the dignity to say no. Does that make sense? There's been many times I've said, can I pray for you? And they'll say, no, thanks. And then I say, okay, that's fine. We can care about people regardless if they convert to Christianity or not. Like, I know, I need to, I know I'm saying that, kind of, like, I need to hear that, too. I need to be, remember that, too. We can, we can love, care, value, spend time with, fill in the blank, with people, whether they believe in Jesus or not. Whether they go 40 years, whether they their whole life and reject, 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 It's part of the ways that we love people and that we don't just turn them into a project. I need to be reminded of that all the time. So, how can we be like Jesus? We can put ourselves in situations where we can see the hurting, have compassion, and then act. Those are some of the ways we can. Hopefully these are some helpful lessons for us. But some of you might be thinking, wait a second, are you discounting any opportunity for God to do the miraculous? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. He does. He can. And when he does, it's always to point people, according to the Father's will, to Jesus, to who he is. And we can ask humbly for God to work in miraculous, impossible ways. We can ask that. And we should do it humbly. There are times, and I'm going to say this carefully, there are times where I believe God will put something, the Holy Spirit will put something so strongly on our hearts that we act or say something in a way that's not how we usually do it, with a, a supernatural boldness. Now, the people that I've talked to that I, tr- that I respect, that I trust, what I have found, and I know I have a lot more people to talk to and a lot more years to live, Lord willing, but what I have found is it's rare. Let me give you one example. One example. One of my professors in seminary, he talked to me about one example. He was in his f- 50s, and he said there was one time that a family in his church had their mother going in for a procedure that was very serious, and they weren't sure if she was gonna make it. And he had, an, uh, whatever you wanna call it, <laughs> a, such a strong feeling, such a strong conviction, from God, he believed that God was going to make sure the mom got, like, the mom was going to be okay. So while he usually would have gone to the family and prayed and humbly, you know, prayed with them and, uh, you know, we, but without guaranteeing anything because we're not God, this time he said to them, Your mom's going to be okay. He didn't, he didn't, he just, he knew one time in his life. I believe those those examples happen. God is still a God of miracles. God still speaks to us, whether we've seen it, whether we believe it or not. If you're here and that doesn't fit into your worldview at all, if if you have bought hook, line, and sinker the materialistic worldview that all of life is just what you see, what you can measure, what you can test, what's repeatable, I would encourage you, first of all, there's plenty of people here you could talk to and hear stories that will challenge that worldview. But also there's a book called "Miracles" by Craig, Dr. Craig Keener, and he did a study of just 10 countries, just 10 countries, and found over two how many is it <laughs> over 200 million eyewitness accounts of miracles, over 200 million eyewitness accounts of miracles in 10 countries. Miracles by Craig Keener. How does that challenge your worldview if one of those people are right? I challenge you to doubt your doubts. Wait, doubt? Yeah, doubt your doubts. (laughs) (laughs) About whether God works in miraculous ways. He does. He still points people to Jesus. He still gives glimpses of his kingdom that will one day come in all of its fullness. We see the presence of Jesus, we see the grace of Jesus, and then we see the truth of Jesus. I mentioned at the beginning, he, he only says a few words here in this story. There's not a lot of teaching, there's not a lot of, here's the truth. He, he embodies it. Rather than him teaching the truth, he is the truth. and We see that in this story. He is the resurrection and the life. Easter is coming up pretty quick, Resurrection Sunday. If you want to, in advance, be a little more ready for that, check out John chapter 11. I'm going to be talking about that a lot. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the author, the giver of life, the way, the truth, and the life. He turns mourning into dancing, a funeral procession, into a family reunion. He turns unsuspecting mourners into a crowd of worshipers and missionaries. He is the God of infinite glory, infinite greatness, infinite goodness. And he leads us to praise and to fear. Why does it say fear, verse 16? Fear sees them all. They worshiped and they were afraid. I want to focus on this as we land the plane here. Remember, there's these two crowds. The crowd that's following Jesus from Capernaum, excited all of what this carpenter from Nazareth what he's been doing what he's been teaching they're amazed sure they had questions i'm sure many of them had doubts and fears and this crowd meets another crowd they're going into the city this other crowd is leaving the city a funeral procession a crowd that we can more universally identify with that are hit by grief and sadness and loss and likely regrets and fear because of the sudden death of this younger boy, and these two crowds become one crowd surrounding Jesus as they see him do the impossible. And after seeing him do the impossible of ra- just with a word, giving life to this boy, they praise, they worship, and they can't help but go and want to tell others about it, but they're also afraid, verse 16 tells us. Fear seized them all. Why were they afraid? They were afraid because what they were once fearing, the unknown of death, what happens? How can I face it? The fear of death was overshadowed by the one whom death bends the knee to. They were more afraid of the one standing there that had power over death. Do you remember in the boat? Sea of Galilee, Jesus with his disciples. There's a storm, the disciples are terrified. Jesus, don't you care? You're sleeping. Aren't you? Aren't you? We're we're, we're gonna die here. Don't you care about us? And with a word, Jesus calmed the storm. With a word. And how did they respond? It said they were afraid. Who is this guy? (laughs) whom even the winds and the waves obey." Have you guys seen Jurassic Park, any of those movies? My dad's favorite. You're wondering, like, how are are we? Jurassic Park. So multiple times in the movies, right, you have the smaller dinosaurs, some of the, even like the velociraptors, who are terrifying, by the way. Okay, And they're surrounding the good guys, and you're all worried, and they're afraid, and what are they going to do? And then, boom, thud in the background, this loud noise and everything stops, and then again. And then those smaller, scary creatures sprint away, terrified, and you're wondering, while they were afraid of that, something much bigger, much more terrifying, was coming. Jesus has power over death. Whenever you get afraid, and look, it's a normal response. It's normal for us to fear death. Remember the one who has all power. Remember the one who conquered death. The truth, the truth can be scary. But as Aslan said, no, he's not safe, but he is good. He is good. Here's how I want to close it out. Where is that boy in the story today, this boy from Nain? Where is the mother? Where, Where are those crowds? They died. The boy who was raised to life, he died again. Healings are temporary fixes. They do not solve future pain, and they do not solve future death. Jesus died, but Jesus rose. Incorruptible. Immortal. The first fruits of all who will be raised, not temporarily, not a temporary fix, but permanently. Never to die again. Because of his life, because of his death, because of his, because of Jesus' resurrection, there is a reunion coming. And let's, let's be people that use our short lives to invite and help others be ready for it. Amen? Amen. If you want prayer today, there's going to be prayer available right over there after the service. I would encourage you, even just don't hesitate. If you want prayer for anything, evangelism, something going on in your life, questions about anything you heard today that you want to go talk about, pray about, please, please do that. And I'm going to pray for us now. Father, thank you for these true stories of how you interacted with people of how you interacted with individuals and you have shown us what presence what grace what truth looks like and we see the beauty we see the glory we see the wonder of Jesus and god we want to be we want to be more like him we want to represent you well lord and i pray god would you help each and every one of us to have courage, to have boldness, to have patience, to have love and tenderness with the people in our lives, that they may know you as well. Help us, God, to care. Burn in our hearts, Lord, to care about those that don't know you, that are lost, that don't truly know who they are or where they're going. God, who are we? Who are we but beggars that simply know where the bread is? God, as we take communion, we remember the bread. We remember your body broken. We remember your blood shed to forgive us. And we remember, Lord, that you conquered death. And as we fear, Lord, as we fear talking to others or sharing or or what you're calling us to do and to be, as we fear the unknowns in our life, as we fear our own mortality. Help us see Jesus. Amen.